Amen. Well, good morning, LCM. Today is February 24th, 2019. Today we're continuing with our Master Ship Builder series. We first looked at becoming a Master Ship Builder. Mm. It is a deliberate process to become a Master Builder. Consider that Noah was probably not a Master Ship Builder when he began to build the ark. But surely he was one upon its completion. Oh, I bet Ham messed that ship up. (laughs) We learn to set our faces towards completing the task that God has empowered us to do. Next, we learn that the necessity of and the benefits of fellowship. Fellowship for the believer is like the sail of a great ship. Here at LCM and across the entire One Association of Churches, we are learning to raise the sails of fellowship, become ever more tightly knit together, close the gaps, and have the wind of the Holy Spirit fill our sails and move us to carry His kingdom to the entire world. Amen? Amen. I'd like to show you our first slide. This morning, our message is titled, Leadership, the Armed Armada. The Armed Armada. That has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Leadership is a misunderstood topic. You hear many sermons about it. You see books that are written about it. They all ignore something. Number one, we need the wind of the Spirit to fill our collective sails this morning. Pastor, this is one of those things that uh, we can't afford to get these ships wrong. No, that's true. You can't afford to get this ship wrong. The world leader, the word leader, never appears in a singular fashion in the 27 books of the Newer Testament. Does that surprise you? There's no such thing as a singular leader. In fact, it only appears in the plural. When you're considering that, the word leaders, plural, appears 12 times in 27 books. Another two times as leadership, but never, not once, not one singular solitary time does it appear as leader. There's a reason for that. Ecclesiastes 4, in the ninth verse, says two are better than one. Is that true or not? Then we might need to quit looking for that single ship sailing up Ship Creek. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. How many times have we seen that pitiable story? It cannot be. At LCM, we embrace this principle. In fact, today we're going to introduce to you some of the ships that are in the armed armada of God's leadership. Biblical leadership is always based on three things. We want to show them to you on a slide. Leadership is always based on friendship and stewardship. We're going to explain that to you as we move forward. But always the components of leadership will involve these two things and be a plural unity. Isn't that interesting? The very first thing that we're saying about leadership, we're going to talk about friendship and stewardship. What an interesting thing. I, I was a school teacher in the first year of teaching. You know what they tell you? They tell the first year teachers, do not smile until Christmas. <laughs> They tell you to get in there and don't be a nice guy. Just get in there and learn how to deal with your students. You're not their friend. Make sure that you get in there and teach them. Uh, they actually say the same thing to pastors as well. Yeah. They actually tell pastors, don't you get too close to the congregation. Don't fraternize with the people. This is, 
I'm not making this up. This is the common wisdom told to pastors early in their pastoralship is that they might not fraternize with the congregation because you're supposed to be their authority. You're supposed to lead them, man. You can't lead and be a friend. How about we take a look at the scripture and see what the scripture has to say about it? Let's turn to Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to look at verse 11. And you're going to find that we didn't just pull this out from anywhere. We found this in the scripture and are relating it to you today. Exodus 33 and verse 11. It says this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Mm. One of the best leaders in the history of mankind. His relationship with the God of all creation, the sovereign ruler of the universe, was that they were friends. Yeah. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. You see, Moses was a friend of God. And what that does is it requires that you be a friend of men. You see the last part of that verse here, then Moses would return to the camp. And it almost looks like the Joshua part is an extra. It's an add-on. It's a leftover. It's something that they just decided to throw in. But see, even Moses, as a great man of God and a friend of God, what he understood was that he needed to have friendship to be able to lead well. That's so true. We want to continue this, this process of moving from the law to the prophets. Let's go to Isaiah 41 together, and you'll see these concepts furthered in Isaiah 41. Beginning around verse 8. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, your descendants, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Consider what's happening here in this revelation of God. Not only was Moses a friend of God when we were reading Exodus 33, but Abraham before him was a friend of God. And not just Abraham, but his descendants were called chosen. That's an important thing. To be in friendship with someone builds security. To be chosen as a friend by them builds security. He goes on in this passage to say they are not rejected, they are chosen. Leadership is based on the security of friendship. They form a cohesive armada. They work together, not worried that the other one is going to reject them. They were chosen to be together. Come on now. You ready for it? You got to get your ships together. Turn with us to James chapter 2. In verse 23, we're going to see this idea continue. Pastor, it really is an interesting thing. People want to talk about leadership, and we in our day and time think about a singular person. What are you leading if there's no one else following you? We have a society of people wanting to call themselves leaders, that they're experts in leadership, and there's no one that's following them. (laughs) What a ridiculous notion. Look in James chapter 2 and verse 23. It says this, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Man, one of the things we think about with Abraham, of course, is his righteousness, his faithfulness. That he believed God and it was credited to him. He was also a friend of God. Oh, yeah. 
Now, this friendship isn't, it can't be based on natural affinity. I like you. I like the way you look. I like the way you make me feel. It's not a natural affinity. What we see from Abraham here is that it was based on believing God and acting righteously. Yeah. A friendship based on anything else is not the friendship that we are discussing today. Man, Abraham was getting his ships together. He was getting his life together, not just any ships, but he was building an armed armada that we are still being blessed with today. What an incredible thought. He was not only operating in friendship, but we can see here in this passage, he was operating in stewardship of God's calling upon his life. What pastor is saying is so profound, so clear. I I don't want to miss something. And so let's focus on a visual image. Joy, let's leave that slide up anytime that we're not sitting on a scripture. When we're talking about leadership, it's always plural. It is always based on friendship with God and man, and it is always based on stewardship. You can hear this in the words of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to John 15 and verse 13. And whenever possible, Joy, just keep flipping back to this slide so that we don't lose track of this. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his... Come on now. That's friendship. Friendship has to sail in leadership. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. When you think about this, let's put that triangle back up. When you're thinking about this, Abraham, Jesus, and all of the disciples, they had a friendship that was based on mutual sacrifice. Abraham had to take Isaac. Moses had to take a Passover lamb, not to mention all of his former glory In Egypt, all of the disciples did it at the cost of their lives. That formed a friendship with God, and it formed a friendship with each other. When we enter into friendship with God through His sacrifice, and are joining Him in that process, something happens. We're not mere servants. Our friendship motivates our stewardship. See, He puts something in our hands. Calling and fruit are what the armada produces. When you're a friend of God, you begin to steward what he has given you. That's all a part of leadership. When you finally get your ships together, the results are good leadership. It's the result of loving the Lord so much that he would call you a friend and you join with others that are like that and your only concern is stewarding the kingdom Well, do you want to be good leaders? Yes. You better get your ships together. Turn with us to Luke chapter 22 and verse 29. Luke 22. As you're looking at this on the screen, the leadership, friendship and stewardship. Let's look at Luke 22, 29. And it says this. And I confer on you a kingdom Mm. just as my father conferred one upon me. Now, this is the whole point of this leadership is that it's not your kingdom to start with. Yeah. Isn't that the worldly system? You're, 
whoever it is back there in the sound booth trying to build their own kingdom, right? I'm not actually talking about Caleb. It's okay. Oh, no. This idea that you're going to build your own kingdom. So what do you do? You work everything towards your own end. Here we see that Jesus had a kingdom conferred upon him and he was faithful in the friendships of the apostles and in the stewardship of the calling of heaven. And then he then in turns and imparts that kingdom, confers that kingdom, bestows that kingdom, gives you the kingdom that he just received. Well, what must you do in return? You must do exactly what we've seen Jesus do in his perfect leadership. That he had a kingdom conferred upon him, and then he gives it to us. This demands that we have stewardship in our lives. In every area, we often confine stewardship to only finances. (laughs) If you have a sermon on stewardship, it's usually about your finances. Of course that's included. But it's your entire life that must be stewarded. It's the entire calling because it's not yours. It was given to you. You didn't originate it. It's not going to end with you. You must be a steward of what God has given you because he gave you his kingdom. You have an obligation. You have something demanded of you if you call yourself a Christian. You can't just build this thing any way that you desire. You have to build an armed armada of leadership. And it includes friendship and stewardship. Man, are you hearing, Pastor? Building an armed armada of leadership. Man. That's some powerful ship right there. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4. When you get to 1 Corinthians 4, you're going to find the first verse. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. All I want to do is show faithfulness. How about you? I want to show faithfulness that inspires people. Do you? Yes. These are the things that friendship with God and stewardship of the call cause to rise to the surface. We do this in an armada. We do this together. We spur on each other's fellow ships. That's what leadership is. Do you want to show good leadership? Yes. Let's turn to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. And while you're turning there, I'm actually reminded that when you think of the verses that say friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Do you see why that's the case now? If leadership, if God, if when he confers his kingdom upon you, he demands of you that you prove faithful in stewardship, in friendship so that you can rightly lead. Lead in your own homes. Lead in this church. Lead in the community, wherever it may be. When you are a friend with the world, you cannot possibly be a friend of the kingdom. That's right. You're not supposed to love the world or anything of the world. Not anything in the world. Man, I want to be a good leader in the house of the Lord. Look at this in Acts 20, 28. It says this, keep watch over yourselves. Mm. What an interesting thought. If you're going to be an excellent leader in the kingdom, the first place that you need to start is making sure that you expel any friendship that you have with the world. Any love of the world or the things in the world. I mean, anything in this world, you put yourself as an enemy of God. This passage says, keep watch over yourselves. (laughs) Let's pull that into a very modern day equivalent for a second. 
When you wake up in the morning and you go to brush your teeth, you do it in front of a mirror. Those of you that choose to shave your faces, do it in front of a mirror. You ladies that put makeup on your face, you do it in front of a mirror. And you would be horrified if you made it halfway through the day and found out you had something nasty stuck on your forehead or your face. If we don't look into the word of God as a mirror to remove unhealthy relationships with the world, then you're walking through life with something nasty on your face. The word first and foremost is supposed to separate you from worldly principles so that you can carry out the kingdom principles. Friendship with God creates good stewardship and together they make good leadership. Man, that's a good word on leadership right there. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Man, do you see this process of stewardship here? We begin with ourselves to go through the day and be marred, marked, wearing something that doesn't belong or isn't right. That's an embarrassment to the kingdom. The Bible says it this way, that we're supposed to watch our life and our doctrine closely. Yeah. Your life and your doctrine. These things must be in agreement. Yeah. Then you're supposed to watch over the flock which, you have been conf- which has been conferred upon you by the Holy Spirit. Now, look, we're getting to a point here in this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna not just talk about leadership in general. We want to talk about you today. Oh, yeah. You're talking about leadership. I, I don't have anybody that I'm leading. Do you have a family? What if, oh, pastor, I'm just a single man. I'm just a single woman. Well, then you know exactly which part of this verse is for you. You're watching over yourself right now so that when you're entrusted <laughs> with the flock, one day you can watch over them too. And everyone else in here is responsible to take care of yourself before God, be a good steward, be a very friend of God so that you might lead properly. Yeah. By the way, this, this passage in Acts, it says shepherds of, of whose church? God's. Oh, it's God's church. He purchased it with his own blood. (laughs) Now, now if you're like me, there, there might, I don't have a lot of attachment to things. There are a few things that I find very, very special. This Bible that I have right here on this on the stand, I've literally been in places, been traveling, and they want to confiscate property or whatever. Look, you can have all the rest of that. You can take all my clothes. You can take everything I have. Just don't take my Bible from me. Yeah, it's precious. It's been bought at a great expense. Many lives have shed their blood to get this word to me. I, I count it as my most treasured possession yeah. in the world. Amen. Yeah. What do you think God feels about the church? What do you think God feels about you that he has purchased with his own blood? Mm. I value this because other men shed their blood for it. He values us. It's his church. We've got to prove faithful. We do. We have to prove faithful. Having been entrusted with something, becoming stewards. How many of you want to be faithful to your friendships? Yeah, Yeah, well, when your friendship is with God, how much more important that you prove faithful over what he's given you? Him revealing something to you in one month and and you're not doing it in month number two, that's not good stewardship. Let's be honest, that's not even good friendship, is it? You you have a friend that takes a month to get back to you, and they're probably not that close of a friend. What's your friendship like with the Lord today? What's your stewardship with the Lord like today? Look, as we move forward in this leadership discussion, leaders are never alone, but everybody has to. Somewhere, when you prove faithful over what God has entrusted you, you know what will happen? 
he will add more. Luke 12 teaches that principle so clearly. How many of you in the room are single today? Raise your hands. Look, if you're single in here, then at this moment, you have the opportunity in a very simplified fashion to show that you are a faithful friend of God, a steward of what he has given you. Do you know what he'll do with that? He'll add more to you. Today, we're going to talk about leadership in the family. We're going to talk about leadership in the church because the truth is, is the church is a family and the family is a prototype for the church. The church is not an institution. It's not a denomination. The church is a family. All leadership, whether in the home or the church, which is God's house, is based on friendship and stewardship. That displays good leadership in God's armed armada. Do you want to be an armed armada? Yes. Let's move to another ship in the armada as we all focus on getting our ships together. Amen. This next slide is pastorship. When we speak of leadership, friendship, and stewardship, how can you not think of the pastorship? Pastorship is sales with and is made up of guardianship and relationship. We're going to keep that in mind as we look at John 10 to illustrate this. Are you getting to John 10? Y'all are very quiet today. John 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd. You might as well say pastor. It's where the word pastor is derived from. Shepherd and pastor are interchangeable. I am the good pastor, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good pastor. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Let's go back to our triangle. Look at this and think through it. The pastorship is guardianship. I spend a lot of time with your pastor Wade. I love him. He's an excellent example of what this is. He is praying for you and looking at how best to guard your life from the attacks of the enemy. It's how he chooses what he teaches on. It's how Pastor Matthew chooses what he counsels on. They want to protect. If a pastor doesn't want to protect, well, that's not really pastorship, is it? Friendship with God produces real relationship with man. What that ends up looking like is a pastor knows his sheep and the sheep are in real relationship with the pastor. Do you want a real relationship? Do you want guardianship? This has profound impact on the way that you view your role in the home and the way that role translates to the church. Let's look together in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. It says this. For you were like sheep going astray. Wow. One pastor was speaking a minute ago. He says and compared a shepherd 
with pastors. Those words are interchangeable. There's a reason that God uses the metaphor of us being sheep. Yeah. Now, none of us, most of us in this room probably have never been around sheep and you've definitely never shepherded them. But the idea is that these little lost creatures, they will put their head down, chomp on whatever's right in front of them and get themselves hopefully lost. Yeah. Hopefully lost. Hopelessly lost. All of the, all of those kind of lost. Elder Bosch and I found one trapped in a fence on his property yeah. that kicked us, uh, headbutted us, did everything that it could to keep us from guardianship. All we were trying to do was free him from the fence. It was really difficult to understand. Had I not pastored for 20 something years, I wouldn't have known what was going on. Yeah. I thought you were describing last week. I forgot where the beginning of that was. For you were like sheep going astray. Well, that's just what happens to sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And what a beautiful picture that the scripture is painting here. Do you hear the guardianship? Like a shepherd, like a pastor and a guardian of your very soul. Hmm. I want to focus on something here for just a second, lest you think that we're just talking about ourselves. No. Can you hear the heart of the father in this passage? Looking at those, looking for those going astray. Come on now, we have, we have parents in here. You ever had a kid that went astray? <laughs> Thank you, Ella Treaster, for that honest, honest answer. A crowded department store or a parking <laughs> lot somewhere just got away from you? It's difficult when they outnumber you. That's true. We lost Gabriel when he was about four years old. We lost him for hours. He saw a friend down the street and decided to go into their house. Yeah. I was the band director and at a football game, and I got a you know, completely calm call from my wife. Yeah. Lord, I need an interpretation of this. I had driven a bus to the stadium. <laughs> I looked at someone in the stands. I looked at a friend. I said, give me your keys now. And from the stands to the field, they just tossed keys to me. And I raced home to find out that he had been playing video, video games the entire time. Now, the, it's funny when you know the outcome of the story. It was not funny to us in that moment. Our world was crashing down. The father's heart to look after those who were going astray is something that is special. It shows a true oh, yeah. guardianship. It shows true relationship. What kind of father would I have been if I just went, oh, babe, we can just make another. We, we can just find it. We'll just adopt some. It's fine. Well, that's not a father's heart. That's, no. not, that's not what we're looking at here. What we're doing is we're going to look for those going astray. It's, it's interesting when our children are young, they can easily get lost physically. But the older that children get, the more they can get lost spiritually, and mentally, and in every other way. Now look, we, we are your pastors here. We know you. We know that there are some of you who are fighting for lost children. Yeah. They've gone astray. We want to encourage you for the pastorship, the shepherdship of what's going on in your own homes. Amen. That must be a priority in your life because a father is the ultimate guardian. He guards your time as a family. Are you doing a good job, church, of guarding the time that you have as a family? 
Are you letting the time just get away from you? You have no idea what happens in a day. You stay busy, but there's no guardianship of the relationship through time. There's no guarding of the resources. It just goes out as fast as you get it. You don't know what to do with it because you're not living as a guardian of what is best for the flock that is under your care. You must be a guardian, a shepherd, and an overseer of their souls because that's what he is for us. You know, far too many churches are run by pastors that act like CEOs. They care when something affects the bottom line. They care about the image of the corporation, but not necessarily the individual direction of sheep. That's why a business is not the model for the church. In fact, if you take the church and make it a business, it becomes a whore. The model for the church is familial. It's a bride. Do you know why? Because every father cares about the members of his family. He cares how they turn out. He doesn't just care about the bottom line. How many of you fathers are profiting from your children? Yeah, that's not the way it works, is it? You spend yourselves for them. That's the heart of a pastor, and a father is a pastor. Do you get that? Look, I love when I think of Pastor Nick Massey or Pastor Eric Treister. Or man, doesn't the name Zeke Lamb make you smile? These men are excellent pastors. But I live with Pastor Wade, and he exemplifies pastorship. It's fair to say that Pastor Wade... He's got his ships together. There may be many others who do it just as well, but I can only think of one who does it better. Let's turn to Hebrews 13. We'll be in verse 20. May the God of Shalom, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Somebody say great. Great. That great pastor of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Jesus perfectly reflected the father. And so his pastorship perfectly illustrates guardianship and relationship with both God and man. He protects And he deepens a relationship. Fathers ought to do this with their children. Deepening their relationship with the Lord. They ought to also protect their children. In fact, leadership revolves around this. When you're a friend of God. When you are a steward of his kingdom. Then how can you not want to guard that which he loves? How can you not want to deepen the relationship with those he loves? See, this is everything, and it's why the church must be run like a family. Remember, arming of this Amarda is based on getting our ships together. It's unity among leaders. That's why this verse speaks of unity. Everything that we do has to be in fellowship. It has to be joined together. It's true of your home And it's true of the church. If you want your children to do well, then father and mother must be sailing in the same direction. If you want your congregation to do well, you got to get your ships together. (laughs) Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We've already been here today, but I want to revisit it 
and focus in a little bit different direction. Acts 20, 28. We read this just a few minutes ago. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, come on, somebody say, after I leave. After I leave. Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Let's think about this from the perspective of a family. I have an 18-year-old son. Soon enough, he will be out from underneath our roof. He's going to be on his own. He's going to be in his own place, making his own decisions. After I leave, there might be savage wolves that try to come in and will not try to spare him. Or Olivia. Or Anna. Or your child. The way that we combat this is exactly what Paul is doing here. We're seeing Paul's guardianship take over here. He's saying, look, I have to go. That is the role that I have to perform. So he was raising up other pastors. He was raising up other leaders. He was arming the ships in the armada that when he left, there would not be such a vacancy. He would not be such a poor leader that it would create a vacuum where the enemy and the savage wolves can come in and tear his family to pieces. Mm. Look at verse 30. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth Mm. in order to draw away disciples after them. They forgot that they had a kingdom that was conferred upon them. They started trying to build their own kingdom, confer upon themselves their own kind of disciples. That's the fastest way to lose your ship. (laughs) Verse 31. So be on your guard. Have guardianship at the forefront of your thinking. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you each, uh, warning each of you night and day with tears. Mm. Come on now. We got, we got parents in here who understand that. Warning a child with tears. Night and day. When our kids are young, we were spanking them all the time. All the time. I mean like all the time. See, in those instances when your children are little, the tears are in them. But the older that a child gets, if they're not getting this, if the guardianship isn't right, you know where the tears begin to come? In you. If the guardianship isn't steady, if you're not looking at the leadership that the Scriptures has given, if you are not have the guardianship and the right kind of relationship, no matter how much you think you're accomplishing, you're not on your guard. And it produces tears. We don't want you to have the kind of tears that come from bitterness and regret. We want to kind of, we want you to have the tears on the front end that cause such an impassioned plea, such a guardianship of the relationship that you are rightly pastoring and shepherding your homes. You're rightly shepherding your own life that it might bring glory to God in every way. This is what we see here in Paul. Come on, folks. We got to continue to raise our families so that we can raise this church. Just like a father has guardianship over his son. And the guardianship is for a time period. You'll always love your children. You'll always have a relationship with them. But something's wrong when a 30-year-old man is not capable of living without guardianship in his life. In fact, guardianship is for a stage in your life so that you can mature beyond it and become a guardian for others. Well, the same thing happens in church. You're not supposed to need the guardianship forever. In fact... Something happens. Let's go to 1 Peter 5. We'll pick up in verse 4. Our relationship never ends, but the guardianship is supposed to produce something. 
First Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. You know what? We are in friendship with God and each other. We are motivated by that friendship to show excellent stewardship of God's kingdom. That means that pastorship depends on guardianship. The relationship between the pastor and the sheep is they are his crown, both now and at his appearing. But what Paul was doing was raising up a group of people that he pastored to become something more when his guardianship ended. The relationship never ended. They would become his crown. See, in this church, you're not just being guarded. You're also being grown into something. Guardianship that lasts forever is inappropriate. Of course, you'll always want to protect each other, but your relationship has an ultimate aim that you become a steward of the kingdom just as your pastor is. The prototype of this is in the family. Your son is always your son, but your aim is that he becomes even more capable than you, and that becomes your crown. That's the hope. The armada of friendship and stewardship and pastorship and relationship is the armament of God on earth. This is how he accomplishes his will. Do you know what ship doesn't belong in the armada? Membership. You got to get that ship out of here. There is no relationship in membership. Relationship and membership are wholly different things. You pay for a membership. But a relationship is based on the mutual sacrifice of both parties. I got to tell you, we are aiming at a lasting relationship. I don't care anything for membership. I say it one more time. You got to get that ship out of here. It doesn't belong in the house of God. It belongs somewhere else. Relationship is in God's armada. Membership is some strange business model. That is so true. I'm thinking back to previous churches that I've been in that had membership. And you know what they would say around the membership class that you were supposed to take? I mean, we got to know who's on our team, don't we? I mean, we got to have a roster for the team. Yeah, that's because you're thinking about it like a team. I do not need a roster for my family. I know my family. We will add to our family one day as our children get married and our family increases in that way. But I won't need a roster then either. I don't need a roster to know who's in the family. That's true. I don't need membership. What membership, that idea of membership, the truth is, is it'll lead you to a shipwreck. That's right. That's, That's really right. what, what those kind of thoughts lead you to. It sounds right and it sounds appropriate, but it's not scriptural. In Ezekiel 34, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to summarize this for time's sake. I remember Pastor Eric speaking on Ezekiel 34, and I must have read it 10 times before, but it never, it never clicked with me. And now Ezekiel 34 has become one of the most important chapters in the Bible for me because it shows us how to rightly arm the pastorship. Yeah, it does. The idea of Ezekiel 34 is that it outlines five things that an exceptional master builder, a master pastor, an exceptional father must build. 
that a pastor is supposed to strengthen the weak. How do you strengthen the weak if you're looking at a roster? If you're looking at membership, you don't know who the weak are. You're supposed to strengthen the weak. You're supposed to heal the sick. Not by proxy. Not sending someone, we heard that you were sick, let's send someone else to you. A true pastor, a true father, a true parent in this case would go. How many moms have ever sat up late or all night with a sick child? I mean, this, this is what happens. Why? Because you're walking in a shepherding kind of way. You're supposed to bind up the injured. You're not supposed to look at them with disdain and be like, oh, you got a broken arm. Sorry, kid. The way that bone's sticking out looks like it might be painful. Have a nice day. <laughs> Here's your lunch money. I mean, what do you, what, that, that's ridiculous when we put it in a family context. It is. And yet that is so common in our culture, the culture of the world, even in the, even in the churches that are around us. We're trying to build something different here. You're supposed to bring back the strays. Strengthen the weak. Heal the mm. sick. Bind up the injured. Amen. Bring back those who are straying from the right path. They've, they've started building a foundation Amen. that is no longer square. It's no longer exactly according to the dimensions of the heavens. You've got to go find that person. You've got to bring them back. We don't just be like, okay, I guess they're gone. No more than you would do that to a child who is becoming wayward. And you're also supposed to search for the lost. Do you hear every facet of Christianity is found in these five things? In my mind and in my heart, these five things determine whether I'm going to be a successful pastor. Of my own home and of you. Do you notice on here it's not about how well we can communicate or speak to someone? It's not about how effective your preaching is. It's about can you find the weak and go strengthen them? Can you, can you heal those who are sick? Can you bind up the injured? The ones who are straying, are you going to go get them? Are you going to go out and bring the lost into your family? Those are the things that matter to God. Yeah. He is rebuking the shepherds of Israel because He said, you didn't do this. You took the best from them. You took and fed yourself the best. You took the best wool. You were dressed the nicest, but you didn't take care of the sheep. And God says, I will shepherd them. If he is showing us that kind of pastorship through guardianship and through relationship, what is it that we must do today? We are not allowed to have a different standard of how we pastor our homes than what the Lord has laid out. We are not allowed to have a different standard of how we pastor you. For those of you who are pastors and called to ministry in this place, you're not allowed to do this differently. Fantastic. You can speak like an oracle from the heavens. Wonderful. Are you doing these five things or not? This will bring clarity to your life. This will put you in the right form of leadership in your own homes and in this church. If you could tell, I'm a little excited about this topic. When you hear pastor describe Ezekiel 34 in your mind, do you think of ecumenical leaders? Do, do you think of pastors that are on books? Because I got to tell you, there was no organized professional clergy on the mountains of Israel in Ezekiel 34. The shepherds that he's speaking about are all community leaders. There was no such thing as a division between secular and religious. The whole nation was to be a nation of priests. There was a priesthood that centered around temple life. 
But that was not what he was talking about. The reason that we say that is to the extent that you see these five things in your home, then you can bring them out to the rest of the world. But if you don't do it in your own home, you won't do it in the rest of the world, and you're not fit to do it in God's church. Now, you know what that means? A man has to go no further than his own family to start his ministry. You would never look at your family as simply membership. You would never do that. You've got to get that ship right on out of here. You've got to get that ship out of here. In fact, we might send membership up Ship Creek. It can go look for a paddle. Look, as we move forward in the armed armada, and we're thinking about the concept of leadership, it's probably time that we look at eldership. Amen. This is becoming one of my favorite ships in the armada. Man, do we need to get our ships together today. When we think of eldership, we have a slide. We want to show you eldership has to do with at least two principles. One is sponsorship and the other is partnership. These ships are starting to come together. You can't afford to lose one of these ships. Eldership sails tightly with sponsorship and partnership. In Acts 14, we see this hinted at. It's a kind of remez in the scripture, but it's a strong one. In Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. The churches we're talking about have been established on a missionary journey. And now these men come back and they appoint elders with fasting. I'm sorry, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This seems to us to be an odd ordering of events because they appoint elders before anything else. There's a reason for that. Elders, the eldership would practice sponsorship. The men who were friends of God, who were stewards of God, would look at the congregation and go, that one is called to the pastorship and we sponsor him. And if the accepted someone's pastorship, then so would the whole rest of the body. In this way, then, the elders moved into a kind of partnership with those whom they sponsored. Does that make sense? This, This is right out of a family dynamic. How do the children know that an influence is the right one in the family? They look to their parents and grandparents. And... It's not unusual for a grandparent to suggest to a father, we should probably consider this. See, this is what eldership looks like. They would partner to form the leadership of the church with those whom they had sponsored. Good eldership is always seeking to show sponsorship that elevates the call of others. Do you see uh, Elder Charlie do this? Do you see Elder Baj do this? They not only vouch for us, they, they help to elevate us. In fact, I have made and will make a few jokes that I can hear Charlie going, bring it up, son, bring it up. <laughs> the whole point is elders help you become better men. Amen. They sponsor you maybe when everyone else overlooks you. And better than that, they join the yoke with you in partnership. Good eldership is always seeking to show partnership that assists 
the work of God's fellowship, his armed armada. Amen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 14 and verse 10. This is a scripture that we're going to look at maybe from a different perspective. At least it was a different perspective than I've ever looked at it today. Luke chapter 14 and verse 10, it says this. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. I remember reading this as a teenager and I tried to take it to heart. I would enter a room and find out wherever the head of the table was and I'd go to the opposite end. I, I was trying to learn how to do it. I don't know that the, that seat made anything different in our culture, but I was trying to figure out how to follow through on this. When you are invited, take the lowest place. This is what we're supposed to learn is humility in the house of God. We're supposed to learn to take the lowest place. But look at this. So when the, your host comes, he will say to you, friend. Well, there we are back to friendship again, aren't we? How about that? Move up to a better place. See, eldership, or the host in this case, is supposed to be able to look at you and have a sponsorship that elevates who you are. Consider it from the perspective of this host for a second. Every time I've ever read this scripture in the past, I thought about me, where I'm going to sit, and oh yeah, getting moved up. Getting the upgrade. Right? See, the problem isn't you getting elevated. The problem is when you're elevating yourself. Yeah. That's the problem that we have here. We all want to elevate ourselves and we have to learn to take the lowest seat, to prefer someone else above ourselves. And what happens is the elders can see it. The elders in the faith, the elders in the church, the elders in your home and say, no, it's time for you to come up. You're not going to be able to get where you need to get if you always stay in that place. But let us help and elevate you. Let me be the sponsorship for you. Consider it in your family, maybe at a, at a holiday meal. Who's the one that usually assigns the seating? It's probably one of the elders in the, in the house. You sit here. You sit here. Your family dynamic is broken if one of the teenage girls walks to the head of the table and kicks the old man out of the chair. There, there's a reason these things are built into society. How can you operate in eldership? See, we have fantastic elders here at this church. Men that, that we look up to, that we get advice from, that we get direction from. If there's ever a conflict between what we think and what the elders think, we say ahead of time and we've determined it, their voice wins. Yeah. We've submitted ourselves to the eldership. And what happens is, but how can you do that in your own home? That's a very few people in our church. In your own family, you're looking how to be responsible for the sponsorship of each of the family members in your household. <laughs> You're trying to find them and say, no, we need you to sit here for now. Why? Because you need this development. Now, come on up. Let's start elevating you through this sponsorship in your families. Anybody in here got godly vision for your children? Yes. Oh, come on. Wait, did y'all go back to the Methodist church? Anybody in here got godly vision for your children? Yes. You ever been a little frustrated that somebody walks up and doesn't think your little prodigy is as amazing as you do? You ever been like, oh, isn't he wonderful? Look, he, he's learning to play the guitar. And you're like, yeah, he's using it like a boat paddle. I don't see what you see. Elders in families and eldership in the church all do something. They, they don't look at what the man is today. 
They have something that the rest of us don't have. They have an experience that teaches them what the man will be tomorrow. How many of you would like someone to look at you for what you are becoming and not what you are? Come on. See, eldership works off of sponsorship and it works off of sponsorship because they look with the mind of Christ and see what someone is to become and they help them get there. They say, you know what? I, I, I know his hair is messed up and I don't know why he keeps rubbing his nose like that, but he's going to grow out of it. That's not who he'll be forever. That's right. Just like a daddy would do that with a kid, the elders do this. They say, hey, you don't understand what God is doing. I put my name on him. I sponsor him. In fact, we're going to partner in this. The most beautiful part about it is the elder doesn't say that the one they're sponsoring is beneath them. They say, no, he's my equal. And they do it a long time before the man is actually an equal. So good. What this does is it constantly moves people up the table. It constantly arms God's armada. Let's look at Acts 9 together and you'll see some of this here. In Acts 9 and verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Think through this. You think of Barnabas and Paul as partners, but that's not where they started. You think of them as co-apostles, but that's not where they started. Their original relationship is Barnabas is the elder in the faith. He's been in the faith. He's been changed from Joseph to Barnabas. He sold everything that he had. He is in the leadership of the church. And he goes and finds Saul, a newbie. And he sponsors him. And then he partners with him. Paul never would have become Paul without the eldership of Barnabas. He didn't lord it over him because he's not a Gentile. He didn't grind his face in it to him. It was not multi-level marketing. It was like a family. You will rise to become more than I am. See, thinking of Barnabas and Paul as a partnership is proof that he did his eldership well. Barnabas showed constant sponsorship in Paul's life. That's what created the partnership. Man, do we need to get our ships together. Amen. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 23 illustrates how the eldership of Paul turned into a partnership with Titus. This is what he claims as for Titus. He is my partner and co-worker. You see this here in 2 Corinthians. Hebrews 10, 33 does the same thing. It illustrates how partnership is deepened in relationship as we suffer together. In fact, the Greek word behind this, when it says sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated, that act of standing side by side is akin to fellowship or partnership. See, something happens when we partner with others in suffering. In 2 Corinthians 1, 6, it promises that the partnership in suffering will result in partnership of comfort. This is an incredible and beautiful principle. In 1 Peter 5, 1, we're doing these like popcorn just to show you. You can take them in your notes. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share 
in the glory. That word share there can also be translated partner in the glory to come. What you see is 1 Peter 5, 1 promises the eldership forms a partnership in God's armed armada. It results in glory at the coming of the Lord. How many of you would like to see glory? Amen. It starts by being an elder in your own family. And elders within families are chosen to be elders in the church. It's based on how you do with your own family. Turn with us to Revelation chapter 5. This is my favorite. It is. This is our favorite verse on eldership. This is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Let's read it together. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 4, it says this. I wept and wept. The apostle John... The elder John here is later on in life. He is in a place where he is standing and seeing something that we're still trying to decipher to our day. And he is weeping uncontrollably because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Mm. John is in the very presence of the heavens and he's seeing things that would cause most men to just die from the, from the revelation that he was getting. And in that moment, John is crushed in his soul. There's not anyone in heaven. There's not anyone on earth. There's not anyone anywhere that he can see that is worthy to undo the scroll. Then one of the elders said to me, Who can comfort an apostle? (laughs) Who can comfort the one who doesn't see any hope in the surroundings? An elder can. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Can you hear a family relation here? Can you hear an elder Charlie come and put his hand on your shoulder and saying, it's going to be all right, son? No. Can you feel bad? Slow down (laughs) just a minute. Can can you? How many of you had Bajas just come up to you and given you such a giant bear hug that you felt like everything was going to be okay? That's what eldership does. It says, do not weep. What an elder does, he doesn't just bring comfort. He refocuses you on what's right. Amen. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. You quit getting in your pity party. I'm telling you, there is one who can answer this. There is one who can help you. And the elder, even to the apostle John, says, it's going to be all right. Amen. How many times have you needed an elder in your family just to put their hand on you and comfort you, to refocus you on the victory that is found in Christ? Mm. The sponsorship and partnership of a heavenly elder here moved on John, and it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in the entirety of Scripture. You know, you may not be an elder in a church, but if you're older than somebody in your family, you're an elder to them. See, none of these roles are all family Or all church. Because the church is the prototype for the family. Because the family extended is the church. We're talking about God's armed armada for the movement of his vessels on earth today. Today is the day we're going to get our ships together. Amen. Do you want to get your ships together? I want to get my ships together. I want to talk to you about the last ship today. But it is arguably the first ship in the process. It's apostleship. 
Apostleship has become a dirty word. That's because idiots put it on their license plates and business cards as a tool to extort money from naive people. That is not what apostleship is. Apostleship is governorship and craftsmanship working together with every other ship in the armada. 1 Corinthians 11.1 really helps with this. Follow my example as... I follow the example of Christ. So a man claiming to be an apostle driving down the road in a $200,000 car is not following the example of Christ. His claim of apostleship is not actual apostleship, and it's not familial. You are not living with him. You are not walking in relationship with him. There is no friendship between you and him. There is only membership, and we need to get that ship out of here. When we're talking apostleship, you have to be able to know the man's life to follow his example. He didn't say, follow my teaching. He didn't say, follow my doctrine. He said, follow my example. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I passed them on to you. See, it is his practical example as well as his teaching that they are holding on to. Another way to say that is it's not just his orthodoxy, it's his orthopraxy. But you couldn't know that if you did not intimately know him. It's why in this very same letter he says, you may have many guardians, but I'm more than that. I'm a daddy to you. I'm a father to you. They had a relationship. Do you know? This is something we need. The apostleship sets the foundational example. It is through that example that you see governorship. It's not through papal dictates or dogmas handed down. The governorship of the apostle is displayed in his example to everyone. The chief direction of the apostleship is aimed at master, foundational, Shipbuilding through proper craftsmanship. See, his example is supposed to be a governorship to you. You're supposed to be able to look at the collective body of the apostles or an apostle within a body and go, I'm supposed to imitate that way of life. When you're wondering if a particular Christian technique is right, am I building this right? You're supposed to be able to look at the collective work and the local example and go, my craftsmanship is on par. It's getting there. That's what the apostle is for. The apostleship leads the way for God's God's armed armada, calling us all, all of the branches of leaders. Let's get our ships together. Let's get our ships together. We got to get our ships together. We got to get our ships together. Turn with us to Ephesians 4. We're going to look at verse 11. A familiar passage once we start talking about those in leadership in the body of Christ. But we want to point out a few things to you. In Ephesians 4 and verse 11, it says this. It was he. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service. Amen. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Amen. 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Without an apostleship, you cannot finally get to that place of full maturity, the full measure of Christ. The truth is, is as we're speaking here, I was thinking about an eldership and apostleship can seem very, very closely related. They almost seem to overlap in just about every way. But apostleship works with the rest of the armada to make sure that, as Pastor Eric has already said, that we are in fact getting our ships together, fully armed, in the correct formation, understanding their specific role and how it fits into the whole. Its governorship is aimed at the craftsmanship of the entire armada. Yes. God, we've gotten to a place where either authority is so abused or it's never used. In an attempt to not abuse authority, people have run the other way and just say, oh, we're just all the same. Who are you? Who are you, sir, to tell me what I'm supposed to do? Even our families start to reflect that. Yeah. Children who yell back at their parents, uncorrected. How is that possible that we are in a society that is so depraved that children are ordering parents what to do? It is a wicked society that does that, but let's not just make it on society as a whole. Let's talk about ourselves for a second. Let's watch our own life and doctrine closely. Let's make sure that we are shepherding ourselves here in this moment. If the cessationists are right and there are no more apostles in the church, then the result in your families would be there is also no one who started your family and no one with the authority to direct your family. That's what the result would be. In other words, you'd be ship out of luck. We need the apostleship. We need it in the family of God. We need it in your family. That's what they, It has to be there. Yeah. We desperately need this type of governorship to guard our craftsmanship. We desperately need this. You need it in your own home. A husband who doesn't lead his family. You are supposed to be operating in the role not only as a father, not only as a pastor, not only as an elder, but you are supposed to be functioning as an apostle in your own home. Yes. Paul says this to other people. I may not be an apostle to others, but I'm an apostle to you. Why? Because he's speaking and he's operating in a governorship to ensure the craftsmanship of this. Every father is the apostle in his own home, in his own family. The same way that a father is supposed to aim at a son becoming much more than he is. A daughter becoming much more than the leadership in the home is. This is what an apostle is for and we desperately need it in our day and time. We should be looking for this. Apostleship helps us grow as a kingdom, as a church, and as a family. The truth is, is we have replaced the apostleship with the cemetery or seminary. And we have because we no longer have relationships that are building the other ships in the armada. What we have is some kind of strange hybridized system. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It it turns out membership, a ship we've already decided to get out of here. In the armed armada of God, the apostleship ensures the others continue to sail spiritually with Christ. That's the whole goal. Similarly to the way a father shows governorship in the craftsmanship of his family. In 1 Corinthians 3, we see this example as we're nearing the end of a leadership message We really want all of your attention. 
Verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Why did something exist in Corinth? It existed in Corinth because Paul was sent to Corinth. And he didn't work alone. He worked in a team through every step of the way. And he raised up partners. I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ. The apostleship must be powered by God's grace to be an expert in the direction of the armada. It is not based on wealth, not based on prowess, not based on charisma. It is based clearly upon the divine call of God. It's Jesus who appoints apostleship. Now, who chose you to be the father of your children? Who chose you? Did you get to, did you get to decide all of that? Well, you think you did until you find out that it can be more difficult to have a kid than you wanted, or you can be surprised by one's arrival. These things are the divine call of God. What gives you the right to tell your child, I don't think this is right for you. Move in another direction. What gives you that right? The divine call of God. Is your child free to disregard it? Well, yes, but at a cost. As the church begins to carve ships out of the armada and leaves ourselves one ship out of luck, what happens to us is there's a great cost for that. We don't want that cost. The apostleship shows great concern for the continued craftsmanship of the church. Always looking, are we still building according to the plan God gave us? I know you're advocating for the sheep, but are we still advocating for God's heart for the sheep? I see that you're advocating for the lost, but are we still advocating for God's word to the lost? See, the whole point is that somebody is watching to make sure that the fleet is not going in the wrong direction. Amen. It's not superior, it's simply a function. That's all that it is like a compass. Most churches are a ship out of luck when it comes to the apostleship because they don't even believe that it exists. In one of our last scriptures of the day, turn with us to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1 together. Hebrews 3.1 says this, Therefore, holy brothers. Wow. We're immediately back to the family concept. Holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. Wow, that's the only kind of calling that I really want to be able to share in. Amen. That's the only one that really matters. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Wow. The truth is, is every time we need some fixing in our lives, it's always going to come by fixing our thoughts on Jesus. Amen. Every time I get broken in what I'm doing, every time I get broken and, and, and not being able to find the right direction is because I haven't fixed my thoughts on Jesus. Amen. We turn and we fix our thoughts on him because he demonstrated the perfect apostleship. Yeah. The perfect eldership. Yeah. The perfect shepherdship. And what he did is he has perfect leadership. Oh, yeah. So we can trust in this great, 
the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Look at verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Oh, wow. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. How did he become this perfect leader? It's because he was faithful. How did Moses become one of the greatest leaders in mankind's history? He was faithful in all of God's house. And that's what we must be as well. I'd like to move to the very last slide here as we put them all together. Leadership. Some of the key ships in this contingent are pastorship, eldership, and apostleship. But you've already seen they all have equivalents within the home. They also all have ships sailing alongside them such as relationship and stewardship and friendship and sponsorship and partnership. These are the armada of God. It all speaks of unity. So one of the last things that Hebrews 3 mentions and that Pastor Wade mentioned is Moses was faithful. But Moses didn't do it alone. Bezalel and Oliab were leaders on the craftsmanship. Israel was riding on God's fellowship. Aaron and his sons were on pastorship. The eldership of Israel was seven strong in its crew. The body of the apostleship is aimed at constructing God's armed armada with all of its ships together. See, this is a picture of the heavenly armed armada sailing spiritually On earth, God's leadership. At this point, we want to display good leadership to you. What great leadership is, is we see exactly what Jesus did. It was faithful. (laughs) We think about and talk about leadership as trying to build a stage and letting other men stand upon it. We'd like to ask one of our friends, one of the disciples here in this church, I'd like to ask Nick Aragina to come forward and actually close us today. As we close our time on leadership. The truth is, church, that you might, you might not be destined to be a, a physical pastor in a church setting somewhere. You might not be destined to be a, a physical apostle somewhere in this world. But if you're in the kingdom of God, then you're destined for leadership. And this morning, the Spirit of God is challenging each and every one of us to grab a hold of that destiny of leadership, to not let it go by the wayside any longer, to not let it sit, sit aside, to not cast our responsibilities and just let time go by. You see, this morning is about some sort of action in your life and in my life. I don't know if you realize this, but we're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. You see, the destiny of the kingdom of God coming to earth is all about the leadership of his saints with Christ. Now, what are you doing today to get yourself ready for that? What are you doing with the minus that you have today? What are you doing with the talents that you have today? Are you putting them to work for God? Do you have your finger on your leadership role in your household? Wives, how are you setting a good example for your children? Are you, are you setting a good example, a good leadership with your time? Or are you just letting it kind of slip by? Our last verse that the pastors went over said that Moses 
was faithful in all of God's house. But you see, Moses didn't start that way, and neither did you, and neither did I. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10 is where we're going to end this message today. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. What excuse do you guys have today? As somebody who's destined to be a leader in the kingdom of God, what excuse do you have today? What is it that you've projected forward that's given you excuse not to be the man or the woman of God that he's calling you to be? We got to get this ship right. We got to get our ships together this morning. This lack of leadership, this this flaccidity that we have in our leadership it has to go away, church. It's time for it to die this morning. Let's go to verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? NIV 84 says, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You see, there's nothing, nothing that the Lord is not able to do and make you exactly the leader that you're called to be. You see, He's created you. He's formed you. He's taken care of you up to this point, And He's able to strengthen you for the next hard decision that you need to make. He's able to do that. He's able to, to carry you into leadership. To be the person that He's called you to be. He can cause you to do that, and it can be this morning. Verse 12. Now go, I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. He goes on to tell Moses, I will help you do the things that I've called you to do. I created you. I'm bringing you help from afar. And I will help you. I will enable you to be the leader that I've called you to be. I'm asking you to step forward in faith. I'm asking for you to acknowledge the parts of your life that are vulnerabilities. To set them before me this morning. And to, to watch what I do as you step forward in obedience. Where have you become stagnant, church? What was good yesterday that's just no longer good today? We're on, we're on an ever-narrowing road with Christ. We're walking along this road, and what was good yesterday might not be good for you this morning. The things, the directions that you got for your children yesterday, you might need something more. You know, they're growing too. How are you going to grow into the leader that the Lord is making you to be today? Stand with me. As we pray, make this morning the morning that you not only get clarity from the Lord about the next step you need to take, but make it the morning that you actually take that step forward in faith, knowing that the Lord is going to give you power to do it. Make this morning the morning where you say, this next week, I'm going to grow like I've never grown before because I know the Lord's on my side and He wants me to be a man and a woman of God. Let your faith shine this morning. Let your confidence rise in the Lord.
release yourself from the state of just floating along. Forceful men take hold of the kingdom of God and forceful men this morning will take hold of the leadership that He's trying to put in your lap. Let's pray together, church. Mighty God, Mighty God, we lift our very souls up to You this morning. Father, we say we need Your direction. We need the High Priest, Jesus Christ, and His leadership to illuminate where we are. To show us where we are, but where we need to be. Lord God, would you light our paths with the light of your Spirit this morning? Would you light the feet in front of us, Lord God? We're saying, would you use our brothers to light our pathway this morning, Lord? Father, would your sweet Spirit, Lord, encourage us forward? Give us a nudge. Give us a shove, whatever it takes, Lord God, to wake us up, Lord, into the leaders that we're called to be. Father, we want to be faithful now because we know you're conferring on us your very kingdom, Lord God. We want to be faithful, Lord. Help us to be faithful this morning as we worship you.